Amen. Merry Christmas. Uh, We will be in Matthew 1 and 2 this evening. Matthew 1 and 2. If we have not met yet, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and I am glad that you're with us this evening. Excited for tonight. Uh, Again, we're going to be in Matthew 1, the back half of chapter 1, and into the first half of chapter 2. I, I, I love Christmas. I love the holidays in general. Um, big Thanksgiving fan, but I also love Christmas a lot. Uh, I love the feeling in the air, the Christmas songs, the hot chocolate, apple cider, the special focus on the incarnation, the, the birth of Jesus, all of it. And one of the things that I really enjoy most about Christmas is seeing family. Really enjoy that. Growing up, my family had a rhythm, which was we would go and travel to see extended family on Thanksgiving, but if extended family wanted to see us during Christmas, they had to come to our house. Now, this was always a special treat, because growing up, we always traveled to extended family's house. They all live in typically, basically, eastern North Carolina, where the oddballs who were living in Virginia, and so we would make the trip down to go and see everybody. It was very rare that somebody, that extended family would come to our house. Uh, It was a special treat typically reserved for Christmas. And so one side of our family came the weekend after Christmas, and the day of their arrival was met with eager anticipation by my siblings and myself. We would get the house cleaned up, the rooms prepared, ourselves ready to go, and then we would wait and wait and wait, and keep waiting, because this side of the family was notoriously late for everything. And I mean hours late. Each time a car passed by, we'd say, is that them? And more often than not, it was not them. And each and every time that it wasn't, we'd sulk away from the window, disappointed, agonized. I mean, it was agony, because we were excited for their arrival, and it seemed like they were nowhere to be found. Our question tonight is, have you ever found yourself in a moment of waiting? Have you ever found yourself tapping your foot, looking up every time that someone walked into the room, listening out for that car to pull into the driveway? Have you ever been in that moment of anxiousness, of agony, as you wait for the arrival of whatever is coming to you, whether it's good, whether it's bad, important, maybe unknown? It's not a fun place to be. That's the place where Israel had been for most of its existence. You see, in 2 Samuel 7, Back, way back in the Old Testament, Israel was near its height as a nation. David, the most famous king of Israel, had secured the borders of the nation. And they were enjoying prosperity. They were enjoying rest, protection. It was something they hadn't enjoyed for very long. And then the Lord comes to David through the prophet Nathan and says to him, He says, when your time comes, and you rest with your fathers, 
I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish your or I'll establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Man, they had it good. But this this sounds way better. God didn't just promise a king whose throne would exist forever. He promised a king whose throne would be established forever. I mean, think about that word. And so the question became, who is this king? Who is the one whose throne will be established forever? Because I want to be with that guy. Well, it seems, pretty quickly, it seemed like it was Solomon, David's son. He took Israel into even greater heights than David had. He increased their wealth, their stability, their prosperity. He even built a temple for God, which was a house for his name as God had promised David. It seemed like Solomon was the guy that the Lord had promised. He was the promised king. But Solomon's life ends in shambles. As we learn that the Lord will take most of the kingdom of Israel away from Solomon and his descendants because he turned away from God. Solomon's life ends trying to kill someone who potentially could usurp him as king. And then as soon as Solomon dies, I'm talking two verses after we read of Solomon's death, the nation of Israel is split into two. And the history of Israel is altered forever more. Israel from that point on knows nothing but pain. The split nation wars with itself, wars with other nations, is captured and enslaved, and the temple of God that was built by Solomon is destroyed, and it's rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. Israel begins to chase after other gods and follow other religions. God continues to speak to them, to to call them back to himself. But they don't listen. And eventually, the lights go out. God stops speaking to them for 400 years. The U.S. isn't even 300 years old yet. And the people are left anxiously waiting Will the promised king come to save us? And if so, who is he? What will he be like? Or worse, have we been forgotten? Has God given up on us? And it's in this, it's in this context of people wondering, will God return? Will he send his promised king back to us? It's in that context that we read our passage tonight. And so let's take a look starting in Matthew 1, verse 18. I'm just going to read all the way through to 2.11. It says, The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph... It was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. 
So, her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But, after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me, so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Lord, we are thankful that we have your word, Lord. We're thankful that it is relevant, Lord, that it matters to our life, that it is living, it is active, it works within us to continue to change us, Lord. So we ask today that as we look at your text briefly, Lord, as we look at your word breathed out, that we would be changed by it. Lord, that we would continue to find you more and more beautiful, more and more valuable, Lord, and that our lives would be affected by it deeply. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Matthew, the author of, this, of these few verses, doesn't try to hide it. The promised king has arrived. He's here. 
the one whose throne will forever be established, is here on earth, born. But he hasn't arrived in a way that any of us would have expected, and certainly not in the way that Israel expected. You ever been waiting for something? Expecting something, and then it just isn't quite what you thought it would be? Maybe you've been really wanting to try out this new restaurant, and you finally get to it, and you sink your teeth into that meal, and it's just not what you thought it would be. Maybe it's just a little bit tangier than, tangier than you thought, or spicier than you thought. Or maybe your favorite musical artist has been ramping up an album release, and you're anticipating the album, and it comes out, and you throw in some ear, earbuds, and you start listening, and it's just not quite what you thought it would be. Maybe the artist decided to experiment a little bit, or it just doesn't sound like you would normally expect. That's how Jesus arrives. The King, the one who will save God's people, who will rescue them from slavery, the one whose throne will be established forever, arrives, and he's not quite what we would expect. If you look at history, you know that kings come to the throne in many different ways. Maybe their dad is the king. And they become king just because they're next in line. They're the heir. Maybe they win the love of the people, and the people appoint them king over them. Maybe they're in a vicious battle, a bloody war, and they're the victors, and they assume the throne. That's the kings of history. And this is how Israel expected God's king, the one who was promised thousands of years ago. You see, they had, they had a pretty simple picture in their mind. God would send someone who arrived on the scene, and he would have absolute power and authority, and he would absolutely dominate Israel's opposers. He would walk into the throne room of the ruling power of the day, kick down the door, kick the king off the throne, and declare Israel to be the most powerful nation in the world. But God's king does not arrive in that way. Instead, He's born to an engaged ninth grader who is almost abandoned by her fiancé in a horse trough, in a smelly stable, in a small hick town in the middle of a poor, marginalized nation. That's not at all the picture that Israel had in mind. And it's probably not what you would have in mind either. If God, the supreme being of the universe, came to you, and he told you that he was sending a king whose throne would be established forever, then you would probably have a picture of gold crowns and a big throne and total domination. But instead, instead the gripping reality of the birth of Jesus shows us that God isn't one-dimensional. You see, we often have a, have a flat view of God. We see him as, as easy to predict, a being who is outside of our realm. He lives in the spiritual and supernatural, and he's above the trivial cares of our life. But in the birth of Jesus, we see a God who isn't flat. Instead, we see a God who is three-dimensional. He doesn't exist apart from us. Instead, he enters into the physical. He enters into humanity. In the birth of Jesus, we find a king who isn't removed from our mess, but steps right into it. Jesus isn't born in a pristine, crisp 
palace, free from hurt, pain, and the mess that comes from living a normal life. Instead, he's born to a young woman who's a virgin, betrothed to another man, and when the man finds out, he, he makes plans to leave her. You can imagine him working through all the repercussions that this will have on him. Jesus is born into actual scandal. In the birth of Jesus, we find a king who doesn't care from afar, but who steps into the fray himself. Jesus became a real flesh and blood human, one who needed his diaper changed, who needed a bath, who needed to eat, who thirsted for water. Jesus enters into the real flesh and blood human experience that we have. In the birth of Jesus, we find a king who makes us fall down and cast ourselves at his feet. The wise men of the East, men of stature, of riches, of renown, travel from nations away to find this little toddler. And they are overwhelmed with joy as they fall to his feet in worship, finding in this small boy all of the promises of God personified. In the birth of Jesus, we find a king who frightens those in power, such as Herod and the chief priests and the scribes. He comes in with a power and authority that usurps theirs, and yet a love and a grace that causes him to care for people in a way that no ruling authority ever had. In the birth of Jesus, we find a king who is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, enjoying the riches of being God, stepped out of the throne room of heaven, entered into the stinky, smelly reality of life here on earth so that he could be with us, so that he could know what it is to be us, so that we could see his, his glory, see his grace, and see his, his truth, so that he could go to a cross and take on the wrath that we deserved. He was born for the purpose of dying so that we might be given life. In dying, he gives us an entrance, life in his kingdom. But in coming back to life, he establishes his throne over that kingdom forever and ever. Do you feel abandoned or forgotten? Look to Jesus who left behind the riches of heaven to be with humanity. Look to Jesus who gave himself up in death so that you can know God as a loving father who never abandons or forsakes his children. Do you feel anxious? Look to Jesus who as a small child casts fear into all those who would oppose him. He is the one in charge. He is the one with power, with authority. He is the one who rules the world. Do you feel depressed? Look to Jesus, whose very presence brings overwhelming joy from those who have possessed other means of joy. Look to Jesus, whose birth was a literal entrance into the tangled messiness that is human life. Do you feel helpless? Look to Jesus, who himself became a helpless little baby so that he could bring you to himself. Look to Jesus, who made himself helpless in death so that he could give you himself. Look to Jesus who overcame death and promised that he will deliver you. Do you feel like nothing can satisfy? Look to Jesus who causes men of stature and power to cast their very best before him because he satisfies more than anything else that they could ever have. Do you feel guilty? Look to Jesus who became helpless, weak, and powerless by being born 
for the purpose of death. Look to Jesus who gave His own life so that your slate could be white, clean. When you become a Christian, He looks at you and calls you innocent. This evening, as we, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, remember that God is not removed. Instead, in the birth of Jesus, we are reminded that God is, is concerned with us, with our reality, with our twists and turns and confusions and aches and hurts and pain. And He stepped into that and offers us Himself. In Jesus, we find joy and satisfaction made human. We find the King, the promised King who has come. We find a King, a God, who loves us not just in word, but in action. By humbly laying aside His own power to serve us both with His life and with His death. And as you put your faith in that, as you believe that, you will find at the feet of Jesus love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and a home. This is the message of Christmas. You are loved, you are wanted, and Jesus took it upon himself to come to you. Embrace Him today, knowing that He is with you every step of the way. Lord, we praise You today. Lord, we praise You for the fact that You could have chosen to leave us to ourselves. Lord, we may not have been uh, literally Israel, we may not have been walking around thousands of years ago choosing to reject you and choosing to do other things, Lord, but we're, we act just like them. Lord, we're, we're not any better than they are. And yet, you took it upon yourself to come and offer yourself. Lord, to enter into the mess, to live a life with the outcasts of society, and then to die. To give up your life so that we might be reconciled with you. And so today, tonight, Lord, and tomorrow morning as we celebrate Christmas, Lord, remind us that you are with us. Lord, as we open gifts, remind us that you're the greatest gift of all, Lord. That you have given us yourself. Lord, help us to continue to embrace you, to trust you, to love you. Continue to help us to experience your love in our day in and day out. Lord, thank you for coming down to be with us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.